Hey, folks, welcome to another very exciting radio uh, episode of CTF Radio. I'm Adam D, and I have with me here, as always, Zardist. Zardist, wanted to say hi? Hey, everybody. Cool. And why don't you uh, do the honors for me, Zardis? We have uh, two very special guests here that hold um, a place of very high esteem in our CTF hearts. Uh, why don't you uh, introduce them in your most grandiose style first, and then uh, we can have them actually, you know, maybe properly introduce themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in, in some sense, uh, our guests today don't need an introduction because they are uh, titans in the community. Um, they're uh, inspirational figures without whom we wouldn't be here, right? Uh, in a Fact. very real way. Uh, and, uh, they've, you know, guided not only the community as a whole, but, but us in, in very personal ways, which is uh, super cool. Um, I'm super excited, uh, to, uh, have this awesome chat with them. Um, and they are Dustin and Vito from legit BS who of course handed the reins of DEFCON to us and now we're handing them onwards. So it's a, it's a very timely, very cool episode. I'm super excited. Um, Dustin Vito, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Uh, yeah, sure thing. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm Vito, uh, part of Legitimate Business Syndicate. Uh, I helped run, you know, DEFCON CTF, I guess. Uh, I worked a lot on the uh, scoring system for uh, both the quals and the finals games. And uh, following on from that right now, I'm also part of the uh, what we call the mission control team for the uh, Hackasat uh, CTF game in space. Uh, and again, for that, I also work on the uh, scoring and some of the infrastructure work. Oh, no, that doesn't mean I have to go into space after I've done uh, DEF CON CTF. I, I actually does does that's not, the right word they're sending you. I, I have not had to go into space. In fact, I have only left Florida like twice for this program, and <laughs> that was in the uh, before times. Ah, yes, yes, yes. And that was, I guess, horizontally, not vertically. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was like sitting vertically because airplanes, but... That's true. Small, <laughs> slight, normal amount of vertical gain. Yeah, not like on your back in some, like jammed into basically like a Volkswagen Beetle space capsule for like three days straight <laughs> with uh, three other guys. I don't know. Yeah. William Shatner can do it. I feel like any of us can do it. That's right. He did do that today. <laughs> I, I hear the toilets are really hard to figure out. Yeah, that yeah, would be probably I, my, my biggest concern. That, that's the one thing I remember from that movie Apollo thirteen is uh, the one guy like flushes the uh, space toilet and he looks out the window and says it's the constellation Uriah. <laughs> that's what you remember about uh, Apollo thirteen? Oh my god! So I remember the scene because I saw this opening day as a kid. Was the scene where they dump all the parts out around all the nerds and the engineers, and they're oh, like, yeah. "All right, we need to make this thing fit into this thing using only this." And like that little nerd part in me just absolutely loved that scene. Uh, yeah, the the CO two filter adapter out of like socks exactly. and duct tape, uh, very much like a, a team building exercise at work where you have to build like a bridge that holds up soda cans <laughs> out of paper and masking tape or something. See, That's getting very autobiographical. Say... I, I was going to say it's very similar to running DEF CON CTF. <laughs> <laughs> shit, yeah, these servers are shit, this shit hits the fan. <laughs> we've we've definitely been there, Jan. Shit hits the fan. You're like, oh, my God, oh, yeah. we only have this stuff. We have to solve this problem as quickly as possible, and you somehow make it work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we do, right? Yeah, awesome. Cool. Uh, yeah, Dustin, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Yeah. Hey everyone, I'm Dustin. Um, if you were at 
DEFCON during the legit BS years, you probably would recognize me from uh, running around the DEFCON floor with my hair on fire trying to make sure everything worked. Um, I, I took a lot of responsibility for some of the uh, crazier curveballs and uh, the sorts of uh, ridiculous uh, like ideations about infrastructure. I didn't really do... like. The, the DevOps are actually running the infrastructure. We have people far more talented than I uh, actually do that. But as far as like, hey, wouldn't it be really cool if we like did a custom architecture that had nine bit middle Indian bytes? Um, uh, that was me, and I'm sorry for it. Uh, well, uh, I, I was the genesis for that. I'm certainly not the the the, the force that made it happen. Uh, once again, uh, far more talented people than I actually put that all together and made it happen. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Perfect. About no, that's great. And uh, yeah, we won't, let's, uh, we'll use that as a nice uh, teaser for later in when we start digging into what you talked about of the insanity that came out of the uh, legit BS era. Uh, Jan, are you prepared to give us a brief history of the DEF CON CTF organizers? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think a, a good, um, you know, there, there, there were the... <laughs> the ages shrouded in mystery I actually brought from um my mom's house last weekend a uh, bunch of my old badges starting from let's see on nine this is great right podcast here. material Jan. yeah thank you <laughs> yeah i got defcon 9 i got um defcon 10. you know this was uh, before um uh, electronic badges and, and at DEF CON 9, I, you know, as, as we've talked about in previous episodes, I w walked the halls of DEF CON watching these hacking gods, uh, hack. And, uh, back then, and, and, and now the, the year to DEF CON iteration conversions a little tricky. So to say at some point there were just DEF CON goons running the, the, the contest. And then, uh, the ghetto hackers, uh, took over. Then Ken Shoto took over. Then, I started playing um, with uh, DEFCON, whichever DEFCON was in 2009. I have the badge somewhere in that box. Um, and uh, DD Tech, uh, stealth uh, organized um, from the game floor. And uh, there were um, these, again, it was my first time competing at DEFCON and, 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 you know, the, the imposter syndrome was real, you know, walking around, watching all of these people that really looked like, you know, badasses, just, just sitting there hacking away and, and watching our challenges and our infrastructure, uh, as a team uh, that was competing there, uh, melt down as, as they were hacked to shreds and so forth. Uh, it was very cool. And, um, I think my first DEF CON actually, the, 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 you know, uh, I think my first and my third DEFCON, these uh, crazy uh, kids won that, that looked pretty cool when they were on stage getting their, their black badges. And then... Does anybody uh, look not cool on stage getting their black badges? I'm sure I could handle it, managed to do it somehow. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're probably well, you've, right. You've um, looked very uncool on stage before, but uh, yeah, that's but mainly just... I mean, the exactly, that's what I was going to say. I feel like... I feel like Tyler has won so many badges that it's no longer. <laughs> right. It's like, all right, all right, here you go. Uh, yeah. But anyways, uh, suddenly 
we show up for our fifth year of DEFCON. Um, we, that, that is uh, me on, on, on Shellfish back in the day. Um, I show up for my fifth year of DEFCON and there's a new organizing team and they are... Um, I don't even know how this happened, but 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 like the word spread that these people weren't messing around, um, you know, and, and it was like no one knew who they were necessarily. And it was all, uh, you know, this legitimate business syndicate. But well, you knew one I thing. Mm -hmm. The name was great. That's what I knew. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. The name was 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 pretty awesome. And um, they, they ran a solid ship. Um, and then I walk out and I think these some of these people look vaguely familiar. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's kind of the story of, of uh, at least my impression, starting from goons watching Ghetto Hackers, watching Kenshoto, competing uh, in DD Tech's uh, DEF CON, and then uh, suddenly these, these, these new, you know, the old gods leave, the new gods answer. Um, that, was, uh, that was very cool. So that was the, the, the lead up for me to the reign of legit BS. Awesome. So then maybe we could, uh, before we get into the kind of meat of uh, becoming gods, like Jan said, um, maybe um, Dustin, you can start us off by talking about, because we like to do this with a lot of people that come on this podcast, uh, because we have a lot of people out there that tell us, hey, I'm really interested to get into security or CTFs. Like, how do I get started? So what was your experience, Dustin, into getting into capture the flag and security? Yeah, so... Um... I, I think I, my first encounter with the security community was, uh, I think my freshman or sophomore year, uh, probably, probably, my, sorry, my freshman or my second freshman year at, uh, USF. Did you redshirt your first um, year? I, USF uh, stands for you stay forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, one of my, one of my friends from high school passed me a copy of the student newspaper and it was about a, a, one of the professors out there, Jeremy Rasmussen, who was starting a cybersecurity club. And so I showed up at you know the, the first meeting of that. And so they kind of set us down and they talked about you know what DEF CON was and uh, what Capture the Flag was. Uh, and like we set a goal at one of those first few meetings that you know one day we in this club will go and compete in the DEF CON CTF. Um, like okay that that sounds interesting so you know we we built this mythos around it it's like that was the thing to do and uh, why wouldn't a group of students who knew nothing about security uh be able to do that um so uh, uh i think at the end of the first or second meeting uh, jeremy put out a, a a thing just to it was like go work on this uh, was, i think it was learn security online it was basically a war uh -huh. box sort of you know, there are like 10 challenges you could do for free and then you had to pay to, you know, learn how to be a hacker or whatever silly nonsense it was. And uh, uh, me and, uh, uh, yeah, so we all, you know, took a break and went and did that and we came back and uh, started the meeting. Like, who did, uh, how many of y'all did, uh, you know, got past level one, bunch of people, level two uh, got, got smaller and uh even you know it, there it turned out there were two of us myself and uh kenny who uh just did all the free challenges <laughs> that was really like okay this is cool and interesting and i think was the beginning of the end for me as far as uh deciding that 
this stuff was cool and worth skipping classes. So you got hooked. And, uh, oh yeah, I got I got hooked hard. Awesome, that's amazing. Very cool. Uh, Vito, what about you? So actually, uh, Dustin and I were in this in the you know USF White Hatters Club together for you know most of Dustin's time there. Um, and for me, kind of the formative experience was towards the uh, middle of the fall semester. Uh, you know, Jeremy had introduced us to uh, the, sh the uh, UCSB's uh, ICTF, uh, their academic CTF. And we were trying to decide if we should compete or not, or, you know, if we should wait until we got better. And I think there was a push, and I don't know whose it was, that we should just compete because if we don't compete, we won't know if we're good enough. So, Brilliant. you know, we just kind of jumped in. We didn't do, as a team, we didn't do super well. There were a few of us that were consistently able to, you know, script the scoring of points by, you know, solving like two challenges. So I, Dustin, do you remember if we were in the, like right at the uh, top two thirds? I don't, uh, okay, I don't. Yeah. You know roughly what year that is maybe? Uh, that would have been 2005. It was the spam year. Oh, 2005. Okay. Wow. That's, wow, that's yeah. a very early ICTF. Yeah. So it's like yeah, when we just started into the I, the, uh, the international yeah. part of ICTF. Yeah. So, so the aforementioned Kenny and I, you know, we'd scored some points. We, uh, you know, were asked, you know, that January if uh, we had jobs lined up for after graduation. And, you know, somehow managed to turn that into, you know, jobs after that. But that summer, we, uh, as a club, we tried to qualify for DEF CON CTF and did not. Uh, we went to DEF CON anyways and did the, uh, I think it was called the Amateur CTF back then. And uh, actually cool. won that one which was uh, really, really impressive, really, really fun to see, you know, Vegas. Uh, kind of an incredible feeling to go through the CTF room and see all the teams that, like, you know, just disassembled us in quals. And, you know, looking, because this was at the Riviera where they had, like, the main floor with all the normal people, and then there were skyboxes where most of Kinshota was actually had their servers and were running the game from. And That's just cool. going in there and imagining how cool it would be to be elite enough to even compete in that game. And just not even imagining that we would be able to, you know, run it someday. That's amazing. Yeah, I remember walking down the strip at the end of that DEF CON, uh, talking to Jambalaya, and I was saying, you know, hey, like, that Vizzy guy, he's so cool. Like, he's just very confident, and, like, can you imagine knowing a third of what he knows? Like, uh, that man was, like... The uh, the attitude Kinshoto had when they ran it was very cool and collected, and like they knew exactly what was going on at all times. And uh, I think that was one of the big inspirations for us uh, when, or at least something I thought was important and wanted to bring forward for us is like we need to be on top of it, cool, collected, like not cocky, just right, um, and you know try to treat our players with respect, and you know things can get stressful and everything, but uh, uh, at the end of the day, these people are, you know, giving up their DEF CON to play our silly little game. So, uh, like, I very much wanted to emulate the sort of Kinshoto, uh cool, collected, and, you know, knew everything that was going on on the network at all times. Awesome. That's great. So then, was this your first time at the DEF CON conference, or had you been before that time? For me, 06 was uh, my first. Wow. 
Yeah, same. That's cool. So you went, won the amateur CTF, and got to marvel at, uh, like Jan said, the gods of uh, the CTF room, including the players and the organizers. Uh, that's amazing. So then, and I think Jan, you have a, I mean, you basically have a similar experience with, you know, going to DEF CON and seeing, I've only been to DEF CON to play CTF. So my experience is a little bit uh, different, but yeah, Jan, do you want to talk briefly about your, uh, your experience? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's like you guys said, it's super, super inspiring. It can be also super, um, kind of uh, what's the what's the term I'm looking for my mind's drawing a blank uh, intimidating yeah it can be super intimidating to see just how incredible uh, these hackers are it's easy to forget that you know uh, there's a lot of different directions that people can get very very deep in and you know you too can be incredible in a very you know specific way or, or a large set of ways, but it's, it's easy to forget that when you're looking at, uh, this live, um, I remember, uh, actually my, my one experience that, that was awesome, uh, that I really treasure is, uh, in, in my first, in the first year of legit BS actually, um, which is, you know, uh, basically something melted down. Right. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but but there was a, a network issue. And right at that time, um, we ran into some other stupid problem on our end. And I walked up to the organizer table and uh, Vito, you were there like furiously trying to figure out what's wrong. <laughs> and I said, hey, do you have a second? And you look at me like, fuck off. <laughs> and, and I was like, wow, this guy's busy. I walk, and you came by and you said, Hey, I'm sorry. I, 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 I uh, kind of dismissed you like that. And things are really melting down. Um, but it's, it's very, very easy to, uh, to be inspired even in those situations. Right. Uh, like Dustin said, can always seemed like they were on top of things and I'm sure that they were extraordinarily capable, but knowing how internally things were going for us sometimes when externally things look perfect. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a, a lot of, uh, um, it's, 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 I think surprisingly doable for, for people that aren't gods to look like hacking gods to other people. And I think that's, that's kind of a, a very important, um, thing to keep in mind was as, as, you know, you guys uh, idolize Kenshoto, we idolize you. Kenshoto probably idolizes ghetto hackers and, and, and so on, right? Um, it's uh, th those kind of, it's a chain of inspiration, I think. That, that's pretty important. I was going to say a chain of idolatry, but, you know, whatever. I think yeah, inspiration maybe. sounds better. <laughs> awesome, yeah. cool. So can you then take us through your story going forward? So this is your first time at DEF CON CTF. So then when was the first time that you actually made it to play in DEF CON CTF? Uh, so we actually qualified the very next year for uh, 2007. Amazing. We, uh, and, and by we, I mean, uh, like, you know, Dustin and Salir and a lot of the other team members really leveled up over the, uh, you know, nine months between finals and next year's quals. And we squeaked in and, you know, we can definitely credit the trivia category for a lot of that. 
but yeah, we, we squeaked in and uh, actually made it to Vegas to, you know, play the next year. And I think we got seventh out of eight. Yeah, we absolutely did not belong <laughs> yeah. back here. <laughs> yeah, hey, and, somebody's got to get seventh. All right, it happens. <laughs> and, well, most of our points had come from, I think, Jimbo sneaking into the uh, Kinshoto server suite after hours and Amazing. leaving a sticky note on, you know, one of the hard drives saying, you know, like 500 points to uh, 40 thieves. <laughs> wow. I think also that year uh, they accidentally locked their liquor cabinet and uh, Jimbo also was able to pick the lock uh, when I think some of the people from like LPCon were unable to pick it. And, uh, you know, Jimbo had some crazy like MacGyver ass hotel yeah. paper clips and you know hopes and dreams and uh, got the liquor cabinet back open for the the skybox party. So I think we we may have gotten some unofficial points for that as well. But <laughs> That's awesome. I don't think we got any points for for smashing any stacks right here. <laughs> hey, you weren't last. That's a good uh, good place to be in. It's also uh, actually it's important to know that um, these old days of CTF they were much less regimented than CTF is today, right? So there were years of DEF CON CTF where you brought up a solution and it would be judged and you would be given some variable amount of points based on how cool it is, right? <laughs> I've never competed in that, um, but but this is something along those lines, right? Um, I heard crazy stories from some teams, maybe, maybe it was you guys of back in the day, like actually carrying out significant social engineering attacks against competitors. Uh, to uh, to uh, get get ahead, it's pretty pretty cool stuff. Well, well, I think in 2007 there was actually a discussion happening about that at one of the captains' meetings, where you know I feel like one team may have been talking about like physical intimidation or something like that, <laughs> and it was kind of a, it, it, I mean it was my first year, so I don't know if it was a uh, you know big turning point, but it definitely in retrospect feels like it could have been one, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's very weird. There, there seem to be a few very vocal groups. There are there are people who believe very strongly that CTF is a hacking competition, and therefore there are no rules, mm -hmm. um, inclusive of like wearing razor blades in their shoes to cut the wires that, um, <laughs> you know, we we run to put everybody up. It's like, yeah, I mean, kind of, but like that cost us money. That's that's ours and. It'd be in the air, except for we're in this shitty little hotel that, you know, we get maybe 48 hours to do the setup. The best we can do is tape everything down. Like, the fact that we didn't battle harden the <laughs> Ethernet cable is not is not us failing to conceptualize that as an attack, but yeah. us just assuming you wouldn't be a fucking dick about everything, Chris. Um... <laughs> And then you've got people who are very like, oh, uh, uh, you know, a, a, almost a more, a, a very sterile mm -hmm. view. Um, I don't mean that offensively, but I feel like the uh, order CTFs move to this more sterile, like, yeah. you don't even really get a shell. And like, when we hosted and we took root away from everybody, <laughs> but you still had a shell, people lost their minds. <laughs> Like, how could we ever compete in this if we don't have root? This is ridiculous, and we hate it, and you're changing, you know, this this game that we used to love. We're like, okay, whatever. Uh, sorry. Uh, this is the game. Uh, play it or go take a break for a few years. You know, we're not hosting forever. Um, but then, you know, it, it's interesting to see 
the evolution of people who think cutting network cables should be allowed. Us who are like, uh, everything's allowed except for no root and, you know, don't shoot people. And uh, you guys are like, no shells. Good luck. Have fun. Um, yeah. No yeah. machines. Yeah, even. I mean, no. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, how much? I, I apologize that I'm not a regular listener oh, to please. your podcast. How much of your, like, infrastructure stuff have you talked about publicly? Not much yet, actually. We plan on, on recording an episode hopefully soon with our infrastructure people so that we can dive into it and also um, release it uh, open source. But we're, but, we're happy to. I mean, nothing's yeah, off I mean, limits. At a high level, we bait. So, yeah, like, go ahead, Dustin. As I understand it, you guys effectively didn't have real-time service polls. Like when someone submitted a patch, you would run your volley of tests on it immediately, and if they survived, you did not service poll the binary ever again. Hmm. Um, which is wild uh, to me. Yeah, it's. Uh, it was definitely a, uh... it was a conscious choice. Yes, a conscious and, and internally... Uh, yeah. I don't know how you'd make that choice actually. <laughs> it was an internally long-debated choice. Um, some, we, we had some fe features that were more bugs or unimplemented things that happened to... Some other things, yeah. But this, this was, was an actual intentional um, choice, and it was specifically kind of trying to figure out a good balance between streamlining the game so that um, you don't have to go back and, and, and like figure out why is every three rounds my service down this sort of thing yeah or like we, i course. think that's from our experience running ictf is is ictf was very much the traditional hey you have attack points defense points and sla points and if your thing doesn't but we knew from that experience like and from us running it seeing that you know scoreboard full of green lights that say consistently green for hundreds of ticks or rounds just uh it almost never happened consistently throughout the game. And so, uh, yeah, I think that it was a, in general, conscious decision to say, okay, what if we, it was kind of like a what if scenario of like, okay, what if we didn't do service polling? Then what would the game look like, right? We, we tried it that, that first year. And other than some implementation issues, um, the teams actually, I think along with this evolution of CTF, like you said, to a more sterile uh, perspective, which which might not be a good thing. I I, I can definitely see arguments about that um, uh, for some definition of good. There's also kind of a sportsmanship understanding. So we we saw we did see some abuses of that, um, but but shockingly few. Um, with like one or two high profile exceptions that, that mostly turned out to be, um, people not understanding those rules. Yeah. Basically. Kind of, let's say semi-accidental. Yeah. So, so I think getting rid of the polling every round would have definitely saved me a lot of frustration during the contest because every time I was, you know, heads down on the keyboard or like just stressing out about something, it was because the pollers were taking longer than we wanted rounds to take. Yeah, that's and exactly that was our, what our, we had with ICTF. 100%. Yeah, that was our ICTF experience yeah. over and over and over. Um, and like you run into every single thing. Like at one point, it was mm -hmm. the speed of launching processes on Linux. Like literally, <laughs> Python startup cost. Uh, it was it was just insane. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I liked I liked having the polls take place every round mm -hmm. though, because like in the less sterile version. Mm -hmm. We expected and we saw that exactly. teams were getting access to people's boxes and having persistent access, you know, across polling rounds. And so oftentimes they would 
launch processes or things that would throw off the behavior of the service. And so we wanted to allow that interactivity. We considered, you know, there were, there's the reverse engineering part of the game. There's the exploitation part of the game. There's the, like, service defense mm-hmm. part of the game. But then there was just, like, the, the box hygiene and defense part of the game. And I didn't... I've yet to come up with a way to have that as a characteristic of the game without also having polls take place yeah. through the duration. I think the, the only, and I the think only, also oh, go ahead, Vito. getting, I, I think getting rid of pollers would also get rid of what I think was probably our, like, like my favorite service to think about for sure. Uh, that was Salir's uh, Rubik's in our last year where, you know, it was basically like you solve a Rubik's cube and your solve steps get executed as shellcode. And there was a place in the binary for, you know, teams to patch it to say, you know, this sequence of moves isn't allowed. And the stretch goal would have been if some team implemented a clemency emulator in clemency so they could figure out if a given set of steps would leak the flag. <laughs> and, and they didn't go that far. But it was interesting to see a team would start forbidding a certain sequence of steps that could be part of a valid solve. So Salir would have a polar update that we, you know, push out the next round. Then all of a sudden it's like, well, you've got a different steps this, this round. You have to, uh, you know, adapt your shell code to... Or, you know, one team will be adapting their shell code to not get hit by another team's filter and then make that team update their filter at the same time this team's still on their shell code. Just a brilliant play and hearing some of the commentary from players afterwards that it felt like it was actually a head-to-head contest. Yes. I, I don't yeah. know how that would work without polling, but, but yeah, the... there's, there's probably a lot of research to be done in that direction. Yeah, yeah we had pollers, like... For the most part, we, we did it pre-computed. I think in our first year, we adapted to what we were seeing in the game, but that started to feel like, you know, we could unjustly exactly. influence yeah. the game by yeah. saying, oh, well, PPP did this, and they just won, so we're going to mess with their patch <laughs> specifically. So, but uh, Which we didn't do, uh, consciously, at least. Uh, but um, anyway, so after that year, we had, pat- or, you know, we had services written, and we're like, here are the ways we think they could patch it cheap and easy, and we're going to write a polar to check for that. Uh, you know, exp- and we're going to introduce that polar six hours into the game as sort of like a we 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 tried to design the game so that like you know we limited the team size, which was super popular by the way, um, and <laughs> we tried to make sure that there was enough work available for you know the limited team size to have some backfill and whatnot but then we very deliberately had these sort of pop-up crises that we figured like okay so this person's you're going to have this person who understands the service they're going to write an exploit maybe they're going to write a patch for it they're going to go off and work on something else and before they finish that they're going to be needed on this unless they've taken very good notes and found a way to uh to pass it off to someone else and so that was a deliberate decision to try to you know miss with the game a little bit but still have so, so would yeah, we be uh, able to trace the genealogy of kind of that, like, throwing up a new crisis to the uh, the CCDC model of competition, where you basically run a, uh, you know, an IT office, and you have to respond to these, like, business d- demands? <laughs> I think that's what the, I think that's where the concept came from, but, um, right, obviously we weren't like, oh, you have to install Apache now, and we're going to... You, you have to discover that DNS is UDP. Yeah. Um, it, it, it wasn't your year that the CCDC winners were invited to DEF CON, right? That was 
So uh, that was DB Tech's last year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but they uh, by then they knew about DNS and UDP. Uh, well, that's another USF White Hatters uh, lore. Oh yeah, nice, nice. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it it's definitely a lot of interesting trainers. We tried to implement um, so uh, a comment on the head to head aspect. I think it was your yeah, I think it was your last year with clemency. Um, Clemency still had open patching, right? Did it? In census evaluation? Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. So patches were open. That, to me, there was one of my top experiences in CTF where um, I remember, uh, I don't remember which challenge this was, but there was, uh, someone was exploiting us. And, and we understood the bug, but we didn't understand the proper way of patching it. And so I made a chump patch. I moved some stack, I don't remember, like I grew a stack frame. And uh, we deployed that patch and for a couple of rounds, all was well. And then we're getting exploited again and by the same team. And, and uh, well, at least by something that looked like the same exploit, just, just fixed uh, for the offset. And then I chump patched it again, just, just changed it to a different offset. Worked for two rounds, exploit again. I patched, uh, changed the offset again. This time, <laughs> almost immediate fix, right? So then I got more creative, uh, and until we actually figured out how to patch it properly, I had this head-to-head battle with who turned out to be an RPI sec student uh, of, of just 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 patch and bypass. It was one of the coolest experiences I had in CTF because I, I felt that there was like a mind at the other end of of the connection that that was, and and this was awesome. Um, so I. I totally agree with you. Uh, and it was awesome actually to meet this person at the after party, <laughs> just uh, describing the, the event. He's like, Oh, that was me. It was me. It's <laughs> uh, and, 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 like a blessed, like movie hacker experience where yeah. like, even though they're in the same room, you're imagining them in like a leather jacket, and, like rollerblades <laughs> in the Vegas right. heat, like, right. you know, twirling around and doing little pirouettes while they, yeah. you know, eventually like go, you know, full Beavis on the keyboard for a few seconds to, you know, yeah. adapt to the stack offset. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, oh man, it was it was so cool. And and, and that that head to head, it it kind of bums me out that we, we we I can see what you're saying. We lost a little bit of that in um, adaptive uh, polling. Um, we and especially to... without shell access to your machine, I think that's the other exactly, thing that yeah. the, you missed that sysadmin component of like securing your box and making yeah. sure there wasn't anybody else on it and cleaning up any whatever you know all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, there, there's there's definitely something to be said for both uh, both types of um, operation. I think what we were trying to prevent with the, our own strategies. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically, much of our hosting philosophy was determined by shitty ways we approached CTF when we were playing, right? Like generic patches we tried to fight um, by uh, and Superman defenses by the lack of shell access, but also um, through the, the, the strict uh, byte limits on patching. Um, so you couldn't like reflow binaries, um, stuff like that. Um, I think the, the last one I want to bring up is um, uh, another super popular decision I made. Uh, Jordan still gives me shit about it occasionally. Is we had a service called Eliza. Um, it was like a space trading game that Sir Goon wrote, I believe. Um, and 
right? You had an inventory, it had to have a certain number, you know, you, you had to go trade and your shell code was based on quantity and items you had in your inventory. And it was just an overflow on how many items you could put in your list or in your inventory, I think. And we had a service polar that would check for an off by one that didn't lead to code execution, but was incorrect. And like, I was like, I was very hard on it. I was like, no, this is, this is going to be a thing. Like we have, uh, you know, anyone who's worked at any megacorp has seen, you know, you have to visit this web page in IE 11 because it depends on some broken behavior mm. in IE 11 that is technically incorrect, but someone's built an application around it. I was like, we're writing a polar, and the polar will technically corrupt memory, but it won't corrupt enough memory to get code execution to capture the flag. And we are going to poll that they do allow that bound to be exceeded, but they don't allow code execution. Um, I still stand by that being a, a interesting and relevant thing. Like uh, the software we all depend on has bugs, and some people build their uh, you know, platform dependent on the behavior of those bugs. And I think that was, you know, something that was kind of realistic, but also something that uh, we needed live polling and they needed to see feedback. Cause that was another one of those uh, pollers where we rolled out that change hours into the competition. And then all of a sudden their perfectly patched services were just failing SLA. I'm like, what the hell? And um, yeah. Load bearing bug. <laughs> That's great. That's a good term. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... it's, And and this ability to roll out patching and, and, and changing polling, I mean, it's a, it's a... We kind of suffered a little bit with that because we had planned patching in many of our challenges where we said, okay, we're going to release stage one um, and then well, after... we didn't say it. We just did We didn't it, say I it. But, yeah. but the... Um, for example, uh, the parallel AF... Mm-hmm. That was the final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for parallel AF, we were stage one had a backdoor. It was a reversing challenge, and then stage two removed that backdoor, and then it was it was a opening challenge. Um, and you even had a stage three, right? We had a stage that, three that we didn't even reach. That we uh, didn't even reach. Yeah, we didn't think through. We also had uh, flag limits, and we didn't. Well, a, I mean the. Big thing we learned from that was actually communicating to the players in advance. Hey, there's going to be these three stages, and we're going to change things. You know, at at whatever the flag limit was. So stage one will last for a hundred flags, and stage two will last for five hundred flags, or whatever it is. Um, so that, that way they could predict and know, and it's not just that this, you know. But then, like, it kind of goes back to the the fairness thing, right? It's not like, hey, we're changing it because Team X has exploited, uh, you know, the flags for a hundred rounds, and we want to make it more difficult for them, right? Um, but every time we would deploy this patch, people would have to go through the, you know, one-time patch checking procedure, and of course it would fail if they redeployed. And, and it was, uh, uh, I think there was some some uh, user experience stuff that that is tricky to get when you take on so much of the management, right? That people could do if they had uh, shell access. Actually, I want to get us. Um, uh, diverted a little bit to uh, we we're talking about you know hosting the game has started you're you're there things are melting down you're 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 adapting etc cetera, etc cetera. what about beforehand right because this is um people see uh us as as organizers on, on stage you know either panicking or looking super cool like in shoto or, or or whatnot but no one sees what happens the day before two days before defcon 
right? Um, so or nine months before. <laughs> or, yeah, exactly. So your we, we we talked about our experiences on on previous versions of the podcast, right? I think one of my favorites is uh, uh, I think was it the day or two nights before DefCon like was set to begin. Uh, we walk into the CTF room and and every every team has one table and two chairs. Well, that was our first uh, year, and that was because yeah. Dustin told you you could just go walk in, and he took you back there to go look at. Yeah, the room. that's right, that's right, <laughs> Dustin. You actually saved us there. We would yeah. have showed up like Thursday morning to one table and two chairs, or Friday morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you texted I think I, me. I think I still have. I think I still have the picture yeah. I yes, sent you. Yes, like, yes, um, Is this yeah. what you guys want? <laughs> oh, man. So yeah. what, what was it like for you th that first year, right? Figuring out how to liaise with a, a giant conference and, and so forth. Hard. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's, that's one of the so, many things where uh, we owe Jimbo a ton for making the game actually happen. Uh, because he did so much of the work interfacing with with the DEFCON, with, uh, what's the name of the company that does all the, uh, the set, or oh, not shit, set design, but yeah. like conference set, not signature. Uh, Encore. Yeah, yeah, he interfaced with Encore a lot. Uh, there was, I think the first year when we were in the Rio, uh, he was the one who would just, like, if the projector was beefed, he would climb up those extremely scary gantries <laughs> I would not climb up. Wow. Just to, like, fix it. Uh, just a lot of stuff happened because of him, and it's... It's difficult for, I guess, me to appreciate a lot of that work because it was invisible to me. Yeah, the first year I decided to go out three days before the con and just, like, they run conferences all year. And so I would camp out the conference and wait for the conference that preceded DEF CON to, you know, get out of the way and then just, you know, uh, turns out a black button up and long black jeans. Like, <laughs> if you walk like you know where you're going, people generally don't ask you anything. Bavarian fire and, drill. You know. <laughs> and it was very much the first year we got out there. I think, I don't even think it was just the first year. I think every year we went, it was the same experience. You know, we coordinated with the DEF CON staff and the hotel staff about what we wanted and, you know, got it approved for fire code and all these, you know, things that are required to have a space like that, with the number of people that DEF CON anticipates are going to go through it. And, you know, everything was great. And then you show up out there and, you know, it's not as advertised. Um, and so it's a lot of chasing down the organizers, chasing down the goons. Um, it's always two or three days of trying to find the right goons when you get out there. Because, you know, just walking up to a random goon who you don't know, like, hey, I'm with the CTF and I need to get back there. And, you know, can you put me in touch with... Uh, the, you know, the floor team for DEF CON this year, because we've got all these problems. Like, yeah, whatever. Go fuck off, buddy. Like, social engineering CTFs over there. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, it's more challenging than I expected it to be. Um, and I think the bulk of my time up into the lead up of, you know, starting the CTFs was tracking down hotel people and defcon people and explain like no no we're this is ctf we need to let people in an hour before the floor mm -hmm. opens. Yeah. um and and let them know, out have these tokens on time where they have time to pack up their gear right yeah um 
and we always we would go do a dry run setup because right? we didn't have cloud infrastructure we yeah. wheeled our infrastructure down every year uh, because we had all sorts of weird computers that we couldn't rent in the cloud back then um, and we would do like a dress rehearsal at least the night before you know run everything plug into everybody's uh, spot at the tables make sure they come up with the right IP address and all that all that fun stuff um, and that was generally like a 16 to 18 hour day before we do the kickoff and then we unplug everything wheel it back up and then I think before start, we were down four or five hours before startup every morning, mm -hmm. doing a faster version of the same checks. But, you know, the, the night before was always the important one because it was what got broken on the plane mm -hmm. and uh, who can go to Fry's to fix <laughs> sorts of things. Oh, my God. Speaking of, Jan, do you want to tell that insane story about the cable <laughs> our first year? <laughs> so... Uh... We we show up um, our first year and there's tons of tons of fires on on every. I think it's on Wednesday is when we showed up. There's a lot yeah, of stories we there. We show up on one, Wednesday, yeah, which was way which way was too a late, mistake. Obviously, <laughs> uh, every year after that, except for DefCon Safe Mode, of course, we showed up over a week before, right? So like, at least uh, in I Vegas, think, we yeah. Get this an year we show up the 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 Wednesday before the Wednesday before DefCon. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow, uh, yeah, yeah. Like we rented but a I house think even. Just, even in 2016, when we had uh, like a, a lot of weird CGC stuff was going on too, I think we only showed up the Monday before, right, Dustin? That sounds. And, right. I remember we. I was always out a day or two earlier than everyone else. Um, That's because you guys are just to find out. Like, I forgot this. You know, someone go talk to my girlfriend at the time to get the. Uh, get this packed in our luggage so we've got it. Someone go pick this up. Oh, shit. We, you know, DEFCON said they don't have cables. Somebody bring a bunch of cables sorts of shit. Yeah. See, you could come out that late because you're hacking gods. See? <laughs> no, uh, it's... I, I think part of it was actually a lot of staggered arrival and a lot of people who were just good at getting stuff done. Like, the, the magic of staggered arrival means that it, you're not, like, one and done. If you left something at home... Like, one year I left my, like sunglasses at, at my parents house and you know somebody from our team was in town and was able to go by on their way to the airport <laughs> pick them up that's nice. great that's great yeah um yeah so anyway so so our first year we arrived on wednesday and the ctf started on thursday um and one of the oh, many things that friday. Oh, sorry friday yeah that, yeah. Anyway, so one of the many things that went wrong was uh, <laughs> we needed some sort of cable for our server, uh, one of our servers in our server rack that that we didn't have. We just didn't bring this cable. It was a and, power, like one of the power cables, but it was one cable, of the, yeah. the weird adapter one, not the, the normal one ones. that's on the back. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> and it's some high gauge one. I don't remember. Whatever. It's, it was shaped differently, and the normal ones didn't fit, no matter how much we tried. Um, and, uh, we're sitting there trying to figure out what to do. Like, uh, are we going to go to fries? And, and as we're sitting there, um, null pointer, Will Robertson arrives and, and walks in with, with, uh, his luggage. And, uh, we're like, Will, uh, we're going to have to go to fries electronics and, and, and pick up this cable. I don't, know, hopefully they have it. And like, what cable? We're like, oh, it's just some, uh, special, uh, server cable. It's like, oh, I have it. And he just. Pulls it out of No, his not luggage. only did he say he had it, he's like, oh, blah, 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 dash B42, <laughs> <Exactly>. whatever. <laughs> yeah, I have it right here in my bag. Yeah. 
No, it, 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 yeah, it's crazy. Well, what else did he, he 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 brought like eighty-seven different computers and like? Oh, that was the was next just, year. But yes, he brought yeah, uh, a bunch of different Raspberry Pi. We were trying to do a hardware thing that didn't yeah. end up uh, making it. But yeah, yeah, that was that was wild. And and actually, one of the reasons it didn't make uh, end up making it was because we couldn't figure out a way to um, kind of bolt on SLA after the fact to our. Uh, you know, front-loaded SLA checks. Like, uh, if he had, a, if he had a challenge design that would require it. So it's another kind of thing to harken back. All right. Anyways, to keep us on track. So we have. Um, so we heard about logistics. Maybe infra. Yeah. Uh, we can hear about the first year getting that infra together, Vito. So I think a lot of that first year infrastructure, especially for finals, uh, came together. That was something we were starting to plan around quals, right, Dustin? Like, like, I think a lot um, of it got put together. Sorry, infrastructure like... Game infrastructure. The scoring infrastructure yeah. or game infrastructure or oh, like okay. the team boxes? Which are, which are we All talking about? All of the above is what I'm interested in. So whatever you can talk about. So, so the, yeah, the team boxes that year were basically... You've probably seen the pictures. A bunch of uh, O-Droids in like a Dell you know, server chassis. So that, you know, it's like, oh, no, it's all running on this Dell. We definitely don't have, you know... 20 arm boxes in here. <laughs> uh, a lot of the scoring infrastructure is actually like, and, and this, God, I hope this doesn't sound too much like hubris. feels very normal to me somehow. Like, like it's, it's all, you know, Rails apps and Postgres, and I hit up enter on a script that actually like ticks the rounds, you know, <laughs> like, Wait, like it what? checks its time. So, well, I didn't hit up enter like every round, but it would like, you know, say, okay, the, you know, there's a rounds table in the database that it basically say, okay, the current it's currently this round because it doesn't have a ended at timestamp. So it needs to end at, you know, started at plus five minutes. Mm -hmm. We, you know, the polars have already run, so we don't need to do that. I just need to count down until the next round. And then the next round it would start, you know, and update the database and say, okay, I need to fire the polars. Uh, I'm assuming they're going to take about four minutes total, so I need to fire them right away. It counts all this time, and then, you know, it builds up this, like, average of how long the polars take, so it can time them at a different time every round. But it was it was one of those things where it felt, like, really janky at the beginning. Like, writing, it's like, no, there's got to be, like, a, you know, 12-factor, you know, Heroku, like, you know, big rail shop way to do this. But then I kind of just realized, it's like, no, like, it's, it's all just going to be stuff that runs a script and checks the time a lot. That's actually sounds almost identical to the game bot. So we basically had a, I went to a kind of, I, I call it like a spokes model where we have like just a bunch of little components that all talk to a, yeah, that yeah. all talk to like a central database, but they don't talk, uh, it's not a microservice because they don't talk to each other. They only talk mm. through the database API and they just put stuff in. So it's all polling based, but yeah, that's exactly what our game bot does. The only thing it does is actually it, that component ju just ticks the game. It just like waits <laughs> and calculates, okay, what time, how long do I need to sleep before the next tick should be? And based on data from the database that we can update to change the tick time dynamically. But yeah, that's exactly, um, and it's very, very similar it, to the stuff we did for, uh, ICTF for sure. It was kind of surprising to me how similar and granted Vito took it way further and made it way better than, you know, what we used to use, but like if you're a team who plays CTF and you have some sort of like exploit throwing infrastructure, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like, 
at the end of the day, you're running scripts executed or written by some author, and they've got some plug into your thing to say service up, service down, service up, button valid data. And it looks a lot like, you know, the pre-exploit, uh, you know, making sure you're going to throw the exploit and team selection for throwing exploits sorts of stuff that was in like a lot of the, you know, exploit bots that I had in different uh, iterations of teams when I would competed. And going into some more deep lore, that's something mm-hmm. that we had at the uh, USF White Hatters, you know, 15 years ago, where we had a, you know, we tried to run a CTF one year. Uh, it went very badly, but we like learned a lot and didn't try to organize another CTF for like six <laughs> years after that. Uh, it, it must, I think we hosted it literally like April 20th, 20, 2007. Mm. Uh, and, and yeah, it, it was a kind of a disaster. CTF, but, isn't that what that? Uh... <laughs> uh, I don't, yeah, not not super related to Blaze, but uh, from that we kind of you know what fell out of that was something like I think we called it Pwnbot or something that we were using to you know automatically score or try to automatically score when we played CTFs. Yeah. And how how far how far you went from that, Dustin, to uh, manually typing in flags for shellfish in this uh, in DefCon twenty nine CTF finals? I mean, hey, you got to get the points. Like, I agree. You know, I don't. I don't. Yeah. Talk so people. that's the like. I think the year I won with Samurai, um, that was my biggest contribution. Like, I was finding exploits and or finding vulnerabilities and writing exploits, and you know. Had, done a few of those but um we had some people who were incredibly frustrated with but still believing in the like exploit throwing framework and everything well into the middle of the competition and at one point me and another one of the reversers was like there's glory in finding vulnerabilities and writing exploits but there's victory (laughs) in submitting flags (laughs) and so uh me and another very very talented uh exploiter stopped spending time with Ida and we did the up arrow thing. We're like, no, we we can't even, you know, try to put a dumb wrap around it because like the automation has put us in the position we're mm-hmm. in. We need to uh yeah. Uh and so I spent hours even that year and we won for it, but like Yeah. I think I think that was a big lesson when I was playing was like after our first year when we won, we were like, okay, we're going to come back and have all this automation and it's going to be great. And then we get out there and all of our automation falls apart. And we've got a bunch of people who are discouraged. And then a bunch of people who are like, I, I'm 20 minutes and I'll have it fixed. Ah. And, you know, midway through day two, it's like, no, like you're super talented and we need you to do yeah. other things. Like, um, some cost fallacy sucks. Yeah. Sounds very so, familiar, Jan. Would you like to yeah. briefly describe... Uh, <laughs> well, what yeah, my, year my... was that? Do you remember? Are you talking it... to me or Dustin? No, Jan. Uh, Jan. Uh, it was 2013, I believe. Or tw- uh, maybe even 2012 that I started um, writing shellfishes. Uh, we, we realized that we had no visibility onto the network. And everyone, of course, wanted to just, just open up Ida. CTF. Freaking just uh, create exploits, and I I was one of our uh, people that would do that. But I realized, okay, we need we need to back up. We need to write a dumbass wrap around TCP dump and stuff, and just mirror attacks, and and that got us over half our points that year. Um, 
But then the next year, you you spent all summer improving exactly. that framework, yeah. and then and we then showed up. All and... of DEF CON uh, fixing it. Yeah, because yeah. it was IPv6 was the network yeah. that year. Yeah. I don't you, know if that you, was your guys' I think you guys not, fucked but... us over that time. No, <laughs> was it? No, no, no. It wasn't you guys yet. Yeah, Maybe? and that so our that whole no, network defense system completely failed, and Jan literally spent the first you know half a day to a day trying to fix it, and it was time he should have been yeah. spent you know. Yeah, it's very easy to sync uh, time in. And, and, you know, again, like a, a lot of our design decisions, um, initially delaying PCAPs and later bringing up stealth boards was a way to balance um, uh, that, you know, the, the, the time sync. One of the things that I wanted to do that we never really got to implement is uh, get rid of rounds, right? So uh, can you, instead of rounds, just say, hey, I exploited the service at this point. I don't have to do it again and, unless they patch it. Right? I've proven that it's exploitable. It's exploitable here. That's um, right. And that, and then you don't even need a freaking attack bot or whatever. You you run your your thing. It spits out sixteen flags or fifteen. However many teams you're attacking, you you paste that into a form, and you're done until they until they patch. Right. Um, I, I think that's definitely interesting, and I've you know spent some time, you know. Sometimes, not like a lot of time, uh, trying to figure out how that would work scoring wise. Mm -hmm. But but I worry that misses a lot of the the interactivity of it. Like if you're only throwing once, does the uh, you know does the attacking team get more than one chance to see the uh, proof That's vulnerability right. come in? Do they get you know if they know that's like oh yeah they like this packet definitely contains you know malicious traffic. We don't need to you know sort through the you know regular noise. Um, yeah, it. Yeah, I think I think if I were going to to visit running a CTF again, um, I would want to be thinking about uh, how to s add more pressure to writing better exploits. I feel like that doesn't get a lot of attention, and I feel like uh, one throw kind of trivializes mm -hmm. it. Like you're missing some of the like uh, craftsmanship of a good exploit, like. I think there's a whole dimension of the game of being able to survive scrutiny from skilled yeah. people in your exploit and being able to write payloads that people can't just like, okay, yeah, this is the start of the shellcode or this is the start of the ROM chain and this is the IP address for the connect back. So we're going to change it to ours and then reflect the exploit back. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of interesting theory crafting to do with that. And I haven't come up with a good way to um, make that important yeah. i feel like i had tried to make it important but a lot of teams just were like oh we'll just throw a bunch of bullshit on the wire instead of you know hide in the noise which certainly has its place but um i wish i could come up with a way to kind of push the elegance of that uh, i have a few ideas but yeah we started uh, to see i think a little bit of that with the stealth ports where yes. This way, the teams could kind of get rewarded for, you know, just getting an exploit that works, launching it against everybody on the stealth port so they know it's not going to be stolen and used against them. And then they could do that for half points until they had an exploit that they were pretty confident would be very difficult to reverse engineer. Or from a, like a game theory perspective, the game changed in some way that then caused uh, them to flip and have to like go on open port because somebody else went on open port and leaked the exploit. So now they need to do it before other people do. Um, to get those points. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, that that was 
I think the closest we came to encouraging stealthy exploitation is having, ironically, an option where they don't have to worry about stealthy exploitation if they're okay with half points. Right. <laughs> and, and, and then we saw, yeah, like you said, we saw refined exploits that were very hard to replay uh, being launched on, on open channels, as opposed to shitty exploits that are super easy to, to notice and so forth. Yeah, which is what we had. I mean, we, as Shelf, part of Jan's uh, network defense system would um, just automatically. We had a web interface that would, um, like, automatically flag PCAPs if they contained the flag or XORD versions of the flag. There are all kinds of, like, filters and stuff that you could then look at. And then if you even, and then I can't remember if it did automatically, but I remember one year there was, um, because I'm a web guy, so when I would do DEF CON CTF, I would do this kind of stuff. That's the way, only way I could be uh, useful. You're an Um, arcane architecture guy now. (laughs) Especially when, and which is so funny because one year I remember going and everything was in ARM and maybe it was your first year and I was like, fuck this, I'm so old, I'm not going to learn a new architecture. (laughs) And so I was just on like network defense and that kind of stuff, but but anyways, but so you had this feature where you could just drop the PCAP into a folder and then it would automatically just replay that traffic at every single team and anything that looked like a flag would just get submitted to the organizers. <laughs> and we got like, what was it? Like some insanity of like three quarters of our points were from yeah. like replaying other traffic that was yeah, just existing was, in the it was, network. It was real sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was one, one service that we exploited ourselves. Like I think that year. Yeah. Because yeah. The, the, the thing is usually it was more, but but it, that was a function of not having a good network uh, visibility, right? And so mm-hmm. if you, you know, uh, once you have good network visibility, you're kind of starting to harm your own top hackers because they get frustrated because you scoop them with exploits you find off the wire. Yeah, it's 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 uh, interesting emerging emergent behavior of uh, of playing an attack defense CTF. You know, one of the uh, things I've been thinking about is, like, would a uh, IDS run by the organizers kind of cause that evolution to occur? Like, not only do you have to compete with the detection capabilities of the other team, but if the organizers themselves yeah. are like, yeah, if you just run stock Metasploit shellcode or, you know, yeah. stuff off of malware, we're going to just catch it. So, no. And, you know, even having, like, penalties for that, um, I think that could be an interesting way to try to push uh, some uh, more robust exploits. Yeah, and oh. I, I think that's an interesting take on it because the things that we always think about is when we make some changes, you know, especially at the game theoretical level, like with stealth ports, the top teams will figure that out and will, you know, that'll probably be the difference maker, but bottom like five teams i mean part of the reason why they're in the bottom is because they're they don't like understand the game at that level and so it doesn't really influence their behavior um and that's definitely what we saw so that's an interesting point i don't think we've actually think to thought of we kind of hoped that the teams like we would create an environment such that the teams would do what we wanted but uh it doesn't always work out with all of the teams yeah i've i've um one of the ml challenges i never uh, had time to write was um Basically, uh, that an auto training IDS where there was some trivial uh, bug that you could exploit, but every exploitation attempt refined the IDS based on whether it's successful or That's not. Right. I never that idea is easy to say but hard to get right, and I never really uh, got to you know spend enough time to make it right. 
Yeah, I think the only thing I had that I, I played one of the Hikon CTF finals that I played, there was a web challenge where the web app was one of the most insanely vulnerable web apps you've ever seen. And what you would do was upload some C code that they would compile. And that would be basically a filter on a, like an IDS on everything going through. And they also had open patching with the ability to literally just in the interface say, I want this per, I want to deploy this team's uh, patch. And so it was kind of became this really interesting game of reversing people's patches because of course they put back doors in the patch because when other people stole them. And so trying to figure those out and trying to still exploit people was pretty cool. Um, that was something that sounds exactly like the CGC yeah, yeah. setup. Like you had your firewall rules, but I believe they were C scripts <laughs> to, to do some sort of package. Uh, no, no, the IDS rules, they were uh, not. Uh, written in C. I remember writing a uh, parser for them in uh, Erlang so we could validate them on the uh, website. They were like of kind, to, uh, kind of like the regex, right? Like pseudo regex. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yes. They were basically the polar language, weren't they? Maybe. No, no, because the polar language was XML. And they and were Python something. too. Yeah. Yeah, uh, if you look for the uh, the Erlang package uh, CGC IDS, I think you'll uh, find the parser code I wrote for nice. it. Uh, and then the step one is learn Erlang, and then you exactly. can understand the parsing code. Eh, Erlang's easy. <laughs> Erlang, man. It, it, that's what RabbitMQ was written in? Yeah. 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 I've had so many problems with Erlang. Anyways. um what? So <laughs> we talked Just about... Just don't variables. Exactly. Uh, we talked about your first year. What about your second year? What's different there? In terms of hosting, you're saying? Yeah. So for, for us, I think some of the biggest changes I remember from our second year were for qualifiers, we moved that up a month because some players need to get you know visas mm -hmm. to travel to the U.S. and we want to make it easier for that. Uh, I think DEF CON requested that we move the organizers table from the middle of the room to the end of the room for uh, finals. Uh, we were a lot better at hiding our booze. So nobody from the uh, hotel yelled at us or chewed us out. Uh, I think we were still you mean, on arm again. You, mean a you second. didn't just bring a keg in uh, and start giving out drinks indiscriminately without realizing <laughs> that that was very explicitly against hotel rules. <laughs> so, so in, in 2013, we got chewed out because we just, kind of looked like we were a bar like <laughs> like like one edge of our table was just like a row of booze and at, at some point someone's like you this is the opposite of what you're allowed to do <laughs> yeah a lot of people gave us a hard time about like the outside food yeah. stuff and everything and like until you've run it you don't yeah. realize that's actually super important to the hotel and it's not us just yeah you know being jerks because we hate you and we hate you having access to good food. It's the hotel has been very clear. Like they hate you having access to good food. You kind of do whatever the hell you want, but um, we also or we want people to spend twelve dollars on the world tour hot dog. So <laughs> um, we can't do that if you let them bring in pizza. And so we're very yeah. familiar with this, but <laughs> we got the same thing actually yeah. this last year. It exactly. was actually, I think it was actually the first time that that had happened to us, but. The person who chewed me out was very nice at the end because maybe they saw in my eyes my lack of sleep and i was like i barely know what's going on here anyways uh and they were like just tell them to be stealthy like and their, their point that was interesting is like look 
like our people, you know, are getting tips and stuff and this is how they make their living. And, you know, we want our staff to, to get all that stuff. And we don't want the staff to be upset when they see people, you know, bring carrying in pizza boxes. So just be stealthy. It's like, it's, it's just hard because that. at that like far East end of valleys, you're like a 10 minute walk from anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I liked the Rio better for that. They had better food. Um, they kind of gave us a hard time, but eventually I talked to them. I was like, look, if I go to hash house in your hotel and buy food from there and walk it in, you're really going to tell me that's uh, no, no, that's fine. Um, but, um, yeah, booze was a big one. Um, let's see other less critical, but still, I think important things for year two. So year one, we, we wanted to kind of do like this, uh, CTF party. We wanted everybody to kind of get together and talk and hang out and social night before year the one. We did that before the game. Everybody that. was super guarded and no one wanted to talk or mingle or anything. So year two, we're like, let's do it at the end. And so uh, DT provided a keg that was, you know, run through the hotel channels and everything. And uh, we ran the the after party after. And I think I really liked what I saw there. Like everybody was kind of uh, socializing. People were, their guard was way down. People were talking about, you know, sorts of things that happened in the game. Like the, the interaction Jan mm -hmm. described with like, Oh, that was you. Like, yep. you know, uh, that wasn't an isolated, uh, incident, uh, that, that happened all there quite a bit there. And, uh, I think that was, that was cool. And, uh, I think we continued that every year. Afterwards. I was just going to say, and so you guys actually now. started that. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that that's fascinating. Yeah. It's, it happens every year. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was inspired by the concerto captains. Ah. Um, but, like, we didn't like the idea. Our captain's party happened in the middle of the game. Ah. Uh, and it was uh, limited access. So it was a captain plus one or two others. And we didn't want a cast system, really. Like, you know, we said, we'll only talk to the captains. But that's because there were 8 to 12 of us. And what felt like, at times, 4,000 of you guys. And, you know, just keeping in our yep. head... Um, who we told what to and making sure, and, you know, we did, I think, a bad job at policing where inputs came. And so that, you know, had people then like, oh, I'll go ask Vito yeah. because he's nice. Yeah, yeah. Or, Vito or and Salir, Salir have like, all the answers and they don't like. Yeah, Vito and Salir are the suckers. They're super nice. And as long as the database isn't melting, <laughs> Vito won't tell you to fuck off. Salir won't tell you to fuck off no matter what. Um, but. You know, but then it was hard, like, that's kind of an attack, though. Like, even having the nice people, it's like, we we need to control who or what teams have asked what questions and what answers we've given out so we can make sure that every team knows the same thing and people aren't getting uh, special treatment or privileged information by being chummy with us um, and, you know, knowing that Vito is the, the friendly face of the organization. Yeah. Um, I feel like year two went so much better than year one. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's most for the most part it was really cumulative where mm -hmm. we, we learned a lot of lessons and I feel like we did a pretty okay job at like applying the right lessons. And and also a pretty good job at saying no to scope creep, which was a huge thing mm -hmm. that uh, really helped us. In the games or the in the game itself or the challenges? In in all the above, I think. Oh, like yeah. we 
we maintained a, you know, Google Drive document that is, you know, stuff that we would like to implement at some point in the future. And we ended with that, you know, longer than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and sometimes it's, it's I'd say very... we're very bad at that. Jan is very good about uh, one of his strengths is uh, getting you super stoked about an idea. <laughs> And one of my strengths is trying to push back against that when we need to get shit that actually works. And so we try to find the right balance. It yeah. doesn't always go the correct way in, it, in both directions. And it worked out with, with stealth ports, for mm-hmm. example. I think stealth ports, we had a very serious uh, go and no go conversation where... Oh, because I to tell you, that's when I we had problem. We thought we had problems with stealth ports. And I started looking at the code last year or at the last uh, DEF CON finals. And I'm like... I don't remember writing any of this code. I must have been blackout pandemic drunk or something. And I'm just like, none of this looks familiar. And I'm like, you know, it's that feeling where you're like, it doesn't even really look like mine. Like, uh, and then I finally did a get blame. I'm like, this is Jan's code. That's, right. That's why. That's right. And then I, 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 I flashed to, because okay, if you're not really, going to do that. Yeah, he really wanted these stealth ports. And I'm like, dude, I cannot do the challenge and host our first virtual, like, uh, game and everything, you know, and and also do this stealth ports idea. Like you're gonna have to find somebody to do it, and he he did it. But uh... see, see, and I, I had that like the deja vu, like who wrote this code? Looking at, I think it was our flag redistribution code. Uh, so, uh, you know, every year we had a finite number of flags in the game, and if you're a team that just kind of like circled the drain, you know, you ended the game with some low number of flags. And after the first year, I felt like that code wasn't working right. So I rewrote it and it was the same experience. Like who wrote this? How does this work? Like, and it was, you know, exactly the experience where you type get blame to see whose fault yeah. it is. And it's, <laughs> yeah, you know, get blame only tells you it's your fault. Uh, yeah. I legitimately, uh, I don't want to downplay anybody's experiences, but I felt like what was to me PTSD with our patching code, because it was an automated automated patching system that was not ready the first day that we've launched that me and Yannick, after staying up all Thursday night to get things working for Friday, we also spent all Saturday night trying to get things working. Got it stable at like 3 or 4 a.m. Left to go back to the room to sleep for like three hours. Woke up, came back, plugged in, and we thankfully were like, let's test it during the game. Of course, it was our first year. We were idiots. We didn't have a test team. So we had to test it with real teams, which then we would wipe the database and go. And we test it really in production and it does not work. And so we're just pouring over this script, trying to figure it out for like 20 minutes. Jan's like, Adam, we have to start the game. I'm like, we can't start the game if we don't have patching. Like, I, well, I have to start the game. The teams are here. There's nothing we can do. And I'm like, but we're using a team. We can't let them like, and so, and we start yelling at each other. He goes away and then figures out they can release a challenge so that the teams have something to work on. With, even if they can't access the game, he does that. We finally fix the bug. It was the stupidest bug. I still remember it, but uh, that's not important. Fix the bug, deploy it. It works great. And literally the next year when I had to go back at that code, it was one of the worst feelings. But the thing that I did was like, I'm going to test the shit out of this code. Like that thing has a hundred percent test coverage and I made it beautiful and oh God, but it was so painful going back to that code because <laughs> like, I remembered all those horrible memories of trying to get it to work. I think... One time that we really w- defended against uh, scope creep um, was we wanted to do a heads-up tournament our second year. It would have been one of the third, early... Third year, pandemic, I think. Or sorry, really? go ahead. I mean, I don't know I which, which story you're going. Year. We tried this several times in several different Yeah, we ways. tried several times, and, and it just never 
there was never bandwidth for it. Um, well, the second year we wanted to do dunk tanks. We we've always wanted to do dunk yeah, tanks. Yeah. As we saw that I, was I remember that from the proposal. That was that, in our proposal, yeah. and it was something that we brought up every single year. And the second year we did check and see, we hey, tried. like yeah. the logistics wise, can we make it work? And it was like, no, the hotel won't allow it based on liability. But it's like, could we do a dunk tank full of like, uh, yeah, like, uh, what are those balls? No, the ball. Oh, the balls. Jealous, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, the ball pit. Yeah, like a ball pit balls, and like that's kind of lame. That really defeats the purpose. Like, what if we put the dunk tanks outside, and we had cameras that streamed this inside the event, and we're just like, no, and like I, I, it didn't work the second year, and the third year we even were like, okay, since it's COVID, what if we did a virtual dunk tank? So it would be like a game where your character is looking at the screen and they're in a virtual dunk tank and you have to hack something and the first person dunks the other person virtually. And I actually started on that for a couple of weeks, I think. I got a demo-ish working, but I know nothing about Unreal Engine. Like I'm just trying to do this stuff. At a certain point, I should be like, Jan, I, I don't think, I don't think this is gonna fly, man. Like, I don't think I can actually do this. Yeah. I think there's that saying, done is better than perfect. And, and applies to cutting shit until you have a, a, a product a game that you can actually yeah. run how about i think year two was also the first year we did like uh, and it was terrible in comparison to what we ended with but we did an attempt at visualization of game state that was right that was the d3js like boxes and yes. lines and dots yeah. that uh hoju made prettier but um you know, we're like, let's get rid of the static mm -hmm. scoreboard. Like, I, I think I remember even in, like, the very early things, I wanted, like, the scoreboard to be animated. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like, when teams changed positions, I wanted, like, some animation to occur to make it more dramatic than just, like, oh, blink and you missed yeah. it. Uh, yeah. But I think that was, right, because that was purple and pink and orange. So that would have been our second year. Yeah. And, and that was the year we were at the end of the ballroom in the Rio because there were couches like just the two of the like tiniest couches in the world compared to the size of that room and there would be people hanging out there just watching the visualization it was extremely cool that's awesome yeah yeah those are those are uh those are good moments when you know I think we had a, a good situation with doom where people just sit and like watch people glitch through walls and stuff. Yeah, I think at a high level, we never really cracked the nut yeah. of not, not, making not the well, game yeah. itself visualizable or yeah, interesting. Just individual I mean, challenges. Exactly. Yeah, I think that what we found is if we can make individual challenges have some type of visualization component, like when we did Rock Ship, uh, so you could actually see the game that the people were playing. I think that helped uh, a lot in um, attracting people. Or even last year, I think with Baba is You, I think it wasn't necessarily visualization. Zero is it you. was more yeah. like, or Zero is You, yeah. yeah. Um, but people could actually like play. Yeah, I think I think stuff like that's super cool. Like I think thinking about, you know, uh, memory corruption, not as long character strings as responses to, you know, what's your name, but rather like, Oh, it turns out that if you have this font designed this way with this, you know, mm -hmm. type of curve, you can actually, you know, you write over memory with with the geometry under that curve, and then trying to visualize like, oh, here's an exploit, and you know, I'm going to write out the word pwned using this. Like, I think, you know, thinking about exploits in the context of the application that they are, and you know, what it or what, you know, how that visualizes. I think that's super interesting, but. I don't have a great idea on how to do that generically. 
So what about the rest of your year? So year one was insane and well, for us, for sure. But it sounds like you had minor hurdles as well, learning experiences. Year two went uh, smooth sailing and then you became with seasoned organizers and everything else was easy. I, I don't think year two was, was smooth sailing. Like there, there were, I, I don't know if there were issues with the, the Odroids or something, but like, I know Salir spent like the better part of a day, just wrestling with these, you know, machines that kept kernel panicking and we weren't <laughs> sure it was like a team fault. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of chuckling. So I, that was shellfish, wasn't it? I don't know. No, no, no. The, the hilarious thing is, uh, this is exactly Jan and I's relationship. Like towards the end of each day or the end of the CTF, he'd be like, Adam, that wasn't that bad. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? My hair was on fire the whole time. Like I was tracking down this one issue or this other thing or this report. And it's just like, yeah, it never bubbled up. Like the big stuff didn't bubble up to you. So you thought everything was going great, but I'm over there in panic mode. Yeah. There, there was always this idea that we would cross train people on other responsibilities mm. and it just never happened because I can't be cross trained right now. I'm busy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Or, you know, I can't cross train anybody. I have to add this new functionality that'll be even harder to explain. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like year three was probably our best year as far as... There was definitely the most stuff that year. Like, we started with x86-64 Linux. There, that was the year we had the, uh, the live CTF event, which was actually, like, I don't hate how that went. We had windows on arm that that and uh mips as well right yeah we had yeah. arm mips and x86 that year uh i think that was the eliza year because the other thing we did with eliza was we re-released it from arm to <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that but was, cool. was there a service in year two that we redid from x86 and an emulator to arm between friday and saturday Maybe you, you, so I think it was year two, you had the badger and was it year two or year four? I don't think that was year two. Year yeah, two, that yeah. was absolutely year two. And then yeah, year four was CGC. Okay. Yeah. But I think for year four, for the quals, you had a X86 version of the badger, uh, like a badger redux. That was because we, we went in with the idea yeah. of having a there, I fixed it category where yeah. we would take. That must have been year five, but we would take a, you know, quals challenge and, or, you know, a previous challenge, fix the bug that everybody had landed yeah. and make everybody look for a new one. Yeah. God. I love the badger challenge. Badger so was we, amazing. The, so the badger rehost, right? You had to turn on X11, mm -hmm. you had to allow X11 from outside. And so we were sitting on infrastructure boxes, just like launching like, X eyes or like you know, events preview or whatever, like, you know, here's a picture, here's a gift we think is funny. And just anybody we could, we're like, yeah, amazing. It costs us nothing. Amazing. Yeah, that was an awesome challenge. Also, I think there are several bugs in the, in the rehost. Um, the one we used was uh, some memory error, right? probably an overflow on the heap is if I remember correctly, but um, in the, the input, like the, some input form in the badger so it, it was it was pretty awesome uh i don't think anyone exploited that the way yeah. we anticipated maybe everyone <laughs> found that same because that was much easier to exploit i think than your your intended bug 
I think our intended bug was you had the ability to shaw some certain memory, but you could provide a range, and mm. that range could go into the flag nice. page. And so if you did a byte-wise oh, yeah. search, you could leak out the flag data like that. That's a cool bug. But I don't think anybody yeah. found it. Yeah, well, once, once we saw it, the sec falls from uh, uh, that that uh, form, it was, it was uh, yeah, everyone there also, was in. Year three, I think, was the year that we had uh, addressable LED strips on yes. every team's Yes, time. it was. And so... We were we did visual we had a three D visualization that year as well as we you know we would have like the attacks move around the yeah. room and flash the tables for like first blood and just uh, that was it still wasn't perfect you know as, as we talked sure. about before it wasn't really a visualization of what's going on with any individual service it was more just what's the the game state and so our you know observers could see. When some or when interesting things were happening and when the game was just kind of stale, um, so like they could tell when it was exciting, just they perhaps didn't understand why it was exciting. So I think there's still some interesting work to do there yeah. and helping the people who aren't playing uh, understand why what's going on is interesting, right. what's actually going on. I, I I don't know if your experience was the same as our experience, but the number of helpful people who came in and explained to their friend what CTF was, um, but just missed. And like the number of people who would approach me and be like, hey, you know, have you ever heard of Metasploit? <laughs> like, I bet people with Metasploit could just win this. I was like, yeah. oh. <laughs> That's uh, one of the inspirations behind one of our challenges, uh, Dub Dub Dub, that last year that, you know, using Metasploit, you could get pretty far in Dub Dub Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with some you know, awareness wrapped around it. It was a CTF in a CTF, but yeah. yeah. That, that and, was something and... that fell down from our proposal was that we would do web challenges. Oh, yeah. Yeah, web is... I, we got a lot it's of shit so, the last it's year. It's so especially. hard to make a good web attack defense CTF challenge. It's just... Um, yeah, attack defense. One year I wanted to, to run walls with every challenge on port 80 but just <laughs> we did that accidentally one year what was that our second year Jan, where like every service basically had a web front end and we didn't even really plan it or think about it that way or was it second or third year one year they called it like a fake web ctf where yeah everything had oh, web terminals, yeah. but it was yeah. all yeah. it was all binaries on the back yeah, end yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Just, it wasn't even a conscious plan that we had done it just like that's the way that all the challenges yeah. ended up <laughs> It was just funny. I think that actually has some, like, deep White Hatters lower, and I won't dox the uh, individual responsible for it, but at our first DEF CON, somebody was just pointing Internet Explorer at all the service ports, and like, oh, look, I downloaded a file. That must mean I'm onto something. And it was just, you know, the standard out output. Um, you know, nothing actually interesting, but just the HTTP request was enough to get past the first, awesome. you know, gatekeeper in the to make it spit out some output. That's and, so uh, amazing. I was like, let's put everything on 80 and see how many uh, <laughs> user agents we get. Oh, man. Wow. So a lot of good times in, 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 in CTF. And I think I'm sure we could keep going for hours and hours. Um, but what made you guys uh, make the decision to uh, move on, to, to pass the game onwards? My My feeling about it was... And, and we came close to just the 
our last year running falls, we rented this big party house in central Florida. I think we spent Friday and Saturday night in the Saturday night in the pool was just, everybody was, you know, isn't the game still running on the, Saturday night? Yeah. Yeah. The game was running great on Saturday night. We were all a couple sheets to the wind. We were hanging out by the pool, like, uh, you know, HJ and Sargoon were, you know, just having fun out there. And we're like, what if we just run it forever? Mm-hmm. And, and nobody the, drowned anybody for suggesting that. <laughs> the, there, there were a couple of us that were like, "Well, we don't want to run it forever, but we're also ride or die." But it basically came down to like people who were, you know, single at the beginning, people who were, you know, really cagey about work at the beginning, went through a lot of, you know, big life changes. You know, people who were single at the beginning ended up married with kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people who were, you know, just kind of working at a job at the beginning were like running a company at the end. And it came down to this, this can't be our game forever. This can't be our lives forever necessarily. And, you know, we think we've made a big impact. Uh, we're, you know, excited to see what will happen in the future when somebody comes along and just makes us look like complete rank amateurs. And, <laughs> hey, and, I'm, and I'm looking forward, to, I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing that too. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be nice. I appreciate but, but, that. But no, I, I, th- I think there is... You know, we, we each have our, like, time to be creative and our time to be, you know, at some point, do I don't believe that we necessarily run out of ideas, but we are interested to see what other people will do with this canvas, what other people will do with this, you know, time and opportunity. And it, it is a little bit sad that I'm, you know, not running it anymore. And that first year afterwards at DEF CON when I did not know what to do with the entire weekend was... You know, it was a struggle, but at the same time, it's like, no, it's, it's cool. Like, I'm actually able to see the other things. I'm able to not just, you know, hang around at the table that is my job now. Uh, I did that this year, actually. Uh, but it was, you know, just nice to not have responsibilities at DEF CON. And, yeah, to go in and see, you know, what's new and exciting instead of being responsible for what's new and exciting. <laughs> That last quals was ridiculous. Like we, uh, I don't, I don't remember if there were any problems externally, but I feel like we had it, or we had running quals down to a science. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, we spent so much time with, like a, I think it was an HTC Vive in VR. Uh, we spent time in the pool, like um, we cooked and. Yeah, and like the game wasn't on fire, um, and I think that was part of the like, oh yeah, we could just do this forever. Like, we were just hanging out with, as a bunch of friends in this ridiculous, weird mansion that had a basketball court inside of it. What? Um, Interesting. And like, we all got reasonable sleep. I think a few of us had you know alarm clocks every two hours just to get up, like. Are all the services were up? You know, we had some effectively SLA pollers even for quals that we would run so that we could attempt to detect if there was an issue with the, the services and be proactive about it. But, um, yeah, uh, that last year was fun. Yeah, there's, wow. I, I can relate to the, I mean, we struggled with that decision too. Like, it was, it, it's hard to let go. You, you just, 
Oh, yeah, Adam's told me all about how much he struggled with that decision. <laughs> yeah, I struggled a lot. As a, as a team. As a team. I struggled with planning my dances and how excited I was going to be and who I was, was going to call first. How much sleep you're going to uh, get. Do I start with Despacito yeah. or the Macarena? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I feel bad. I, I heard it's my fault that you guys didn't run a it fifth. It is a hundred percent in the best. <laughs> and I could have just gone to legitbs.net, seen the DefCon CTF organizers list, and realized that Jan was incorrect. Uh, yeah, I think we've mentioned it, but basically, Jan got it. Even though in our proposal, if you look at our proposal, yeah. we say we're going to run it for four years, and somehow we had forgotten that we wrote that, and either after the first year or two. Jan got it into his head that everyone did five years of organizing except for one group, which only did four years. And so that's what we were operating by. And we were like, all right, we're going to do another fifth year so that we don't embarrass ourselves and only do four. And then thank God we had uh, dinner with Dustin and he mentioned uh, that they were the only ones to do five and everyone else did four. And uh, yeah, I, I almost murdered Jan, but uh, yeah. we're still here and we had to make you know team decisions. I, I survived. And, Someone someone told me when, when I was talking about this, yeah, but you should do five so that we can be as cool as legit BS. And at some point I'm like, I know, I'm okay. Yeah, I legit think, BS I think we'll never be us. as cool as legit BS. <laughs> uh, given what they just said about quals, I don't think we've ever had a quals or an event like that where it was uh, mainly no problems. You know, finals is always I think the last one went crazy, but quals, I, I, I do feel like we got more and more solid. Where, where things were always hectic is challenges coming together at the last minute but the actual and not and not getting integrated into infrastructure yeah especially. the actual hosting was was pretty solid we ran into a problem with our last clause where there were two challenges that i had to uh jump in and help integration on and because of that uh i had i had started a complete refactor of my crypto ml challenge because i had some inspiration in the shower um and it interrupted the refactor. And so then I had to pull an all-nighter finishing the refactor after the CTF started. It was insane. But, you know, it worked out. Um, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. What's next for you guys? So for me, uh, I actually still host a uh, CTF, but uh, this time at work. <laughs> now you awesome. get paid for it, not just in adoration yeah. of the community. Yeah, that, that part. Is that nice. what that's called? I thought that was called something else. <laughs> uh, cool. Okay, so yeah, I think, and the main reason, I, not you know, we we love talking to uh, you all, and especially I think the one thing that we really try to do with this podcast is get into like the CTF history because a lot of this stuff is very ephemeral and kind of just like it's an event that happens and there are these cool challenges and then it kind of just disappears into the ether yeah. um, and it sticks in people's memories, but especially like the new breed. And um, this was something that I loved seeing for our last year here is there were teams that only ever played our DEFCON CTFs over the last four years, which is absolutely bonkers to me. Um, because like Jan said, you know, we grew up playing, uh, you know, the DD Tech, the Ken Shoto, and the legit BS games. Um, and so, and, you know, since we're retiring, there's a new call for organizers out there. So what I'd really like to kind of close on is maybe you can talk a bit about, you know, your proposal, how you formed the team under the kind of general theme of tips for future organizers, because, uh, you know, you've carried this torch, we've carried this torch, and it's really important to the community that people step up and go forward. So how can, what do you have to help them be successful? Uh, that was a lot. I don't know if anybody wants to go first. 
So, so I can probably start, and I think my number one thing is start early. Like, start start as soon as you have, like, any idea that this might be a thing you need to do. Uh, we started our proposal, I think, a full month before the due date, and we kind of just decided, it's like, no, we're, we're done. We're not going to let it wait. We're not going to try and, like, make more edits. Uh, we spent, I think, a Saturday and most of a Sunday working on it, and it's, no, let's, let's ship it, like... Yeah. Awesome. For, for a lot of the other stuff, I'm really going to lean on Dustin because he, uh, I think, really took a lot of the leadership, especially early on. Cool. So, Dustin, can you talk maybe about the, the, the insider's perspective on how you formed the legit BS team and the proposal experience? Sure. I can take a crack at that. Um, I, I think I built the bulk of the... So, a majority of the team came out of that initial uh, club at USF, mm -hmm. honestly, right? Uh, Salir, Vito, Jambalaya. Who am I forgetting out of there? I, I know Jetboy and Hoju joined us later on. Oh, yeah. But, yes, they also were. Uh, yeah. Basically, all the people who were in at that first meeting where we did the uh, Learn Security Online thing. Um and, uh, you know, when we, when I saw, or we'd actually put a bid together to host, uh, when DD Tech won and, uh, you know, that didn't turn out. So it's been a few more years thinking about what it would mean to run it. And it didn't hurt that we won a few times. Um, and so, you know, TT knew who we were a bit, but, um, I think when I was really thinking about being serious about running it, I, I reached out to a few uh, people I considered very high value. Like, uh, I had been working at a, at a, you know, REVR sort of shop for a while. And so I knew that I could find people around that office that could, uh, help write interesting challenges and understood the state of the art and exploitation and reversing and all these things. But like, uh, when I called Vito, I was like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this, you know, this was, this is the other side of the coin of what we were staring at when we started the, the white hatters. But, I need somebody who's a badass at infrastructure and, you know, the, the web appy sorts of things that run, uh, a good qualls and, and such. And you're my guy for that. So, and I did the same thing with Salir for network, uh, when I brought Hoju on, um, it was, you know, for visualization and sorts of style things, but uh, I had my core team of, uh, people who were experts in things that weren't just vulnerability research, not mm -hmm. to say that, you know, these people were slouches in that domain, but I think that's very important. I think a lot of hackers and academics think that uh, all the other stuff is mm -hmm. trivial. And so, if you know, oh, I can write exploit tech reverse engineer. Right? How hard is it to write a scalable web app that won't fall over when a thousand people click log in at uh, the start of quals? Um, well, it's easy so, to make them do a proof I of think... work before they can. <laughs> <laughs> but I think having that that team of you know experts that you know you can depend on, so that you can just think about the the, the challenges of the game and not also have your part time thing be, uh, you know, the infrastructure that runs everything. Um. I think coming out with 
some ideas of what you want to change. I think that's important. Um, and don't be afraid to go crazy. Like uh, DT won't hold you to anything if if it ends up being crazy, but just putting out the crazy ideas, uh, right? Uh, OOO was dunk tanks. Um, and it didn't go anywhere, but just showed they were like, oh, let's try to do something to make this into more of a, a spectacle. Uh, I think not losing sight of the fact that you have at least two audiences, right? So you have your competitors and you should uh, work hard to respect their time. Like, like I said, they've spent, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of hours honing their craft and becoming good enough and, you know, playing all the other CTFs uh, and giving up the, the, the drinking and the debauchery of DEF CON to sit behind a computer and scare to keep, keep you know, stare and, uh, be frustrated. It, is it's this what happens at DEF CON when you're not CTFing? I've literally never not CTFed at DEF CON. Yeah. yeah, believe it. it or not. All right, I'm looking forward to that next year. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'll just yeah. follow Vito um, in his backpack around. That's right. <laughs> Shit, where uh, was I? I interrupted you when you were talking about. Oh, yeah, the other, the other yeah. audience. So um, DT cares a lot about. Um, the observers and you know uh, the the general attendees of DefCon, um, CTF or the DefCon CTF has this sort of mythos around it. And you know if we're lucky and we get good organizers again, we'll be able to keep that mythos. But a big part of that mythos is that uh, the people who aren't competing are able to come by and you know understand that something interesting is going on in there. And, um, being willing and able to spend time. Uh, I think we had some explainer videos made and we'd basically like every hour or two when we were hosting, we'd have one of uh, the legit BS folk go and just basically hold court and say, you know, hey, hey everybody, it looks like we've got a lot of people in here. This is DEF CON CTF. And, you know, just kind of give the rundown to, to let people know what exactly was going on and trying to combat that sort of like, oh, this is, uh, there's this cool tool called Metasploit and that's how these guys are winning. Um, uh, but I think, you know, keeping in mind that you've also got to cater to that second audience um, if if we want to keep the sort of mythos of the DEF CON CTF alive and well. And I think that's important as well. Awesome. And, and I think it's interesting to see a lot of that approach to both the technical content and also a very audience friendly thing. We see that at a lot of other, or I see that at a lot, a lot of other contests at DEF CON. So the car hacking CTF is kind of impressive, uh, you know, where you have, even during like this year during COVID, you know, there were people at tables and there were, you know, a couple cars, uh, one that had like, you know, uh, gaff tape over these little oval logos at the front and back. So you didn't know that it was a Ford uh, EcoSport. Uh, there's another like weird electric car covered in stickers and just the, the visual of seeing somebody at one of the tables go like, yes, every time that like a window on the car would move because they controlled it remotely was really, really cool. And, you know, figuring out a way to do that in a more like hardcore, you know, CTF, I, I don't actually know if the car hacking CTF is super hardcore or not, but, but in, you know, just a more pure binary CTF and, you know, maybe web challenges in the future. We'll see, because a lot of people want those. <laughs> Got to give the people what they want. I guess. Awesome. <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. Somebody else can deal yeah, with that. Not exactly. Us. Not, <laughs> not a problem. We're, uh, we're uh, definitely support role at best. 
next year. Yes. Which will be good. Yeah. Very happy to support. And, you know, I think I'm sure we do this the same as you, right? We love CTFs. We love the community. And that's why we were willing to donate our time, money, and energy, more important, I guess, energy to, uh, to DEF CON CTF. Yeah, it's it's an amazing experience. If you think playing in it is difficult, imagine you know running it. Uh, it's an incredibly rewarding experience, and it's uh, it's a ton of fun. There's really nothing else like it. Uh, it it was a wonderful time. Uh, it's one of those you know bittersweet things where, uh, like flying home from DEF CON in 2017, and then to uh, Netherlands like the next day after that. I think I listened to Good Riddance by Green Day about 40 times each day, just like. Sad it's over, but also, what's next? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I still get goosebumps whenever I hear Final Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. One, one, one of the few <laughs> sentimental items I actually have on my desk are our uh, DEF CON challenge coins from the various years. And then one of the few sentimental, well, one of the sentimental things I have on my um, office desk at the university is the challenge coins be received during the legit BS years. Yeah, my CTF swag isn't my, you know, video chat background by coincidence, I assure you. <laughs> yeah, it really pales in comparison to a little pendant. I, I don't even have push pins here. I asked you on to bring them when we recorded our last episode. He did not. So it's just it. chilling on the couch. Very sad. Like, uh, but yeah, I also have my, my good luck charm throughout the uh, last three years that we hosted was my my coin from the first year where I was like, look, and I would carry that with me. Be like, look, if we survive the first year, we can survive literally anything. So <laughs> it's a good, uh, good feeling there. Cool. Any, uh, remaining thoughts, anything you want to plug or share or otherwise, uh, you know, give a cap, hopefully captive, um, you know, hacking audience who are looking up to you as the gods that you are. Honestly, I just want to see some uh, really good proposals come through for uh, DEF CON CTF next year. Uh, I you know, know there's got to be a handful out there. I'm uh, excited to read them and excited to see what the uh, future of DEF CON CTF is. Uh, if you're on the fence about it, give it a shot. Uh, you know, it might take you some time to write the proposal, might you know, re require you to you know, get you know, really close to a bunch of friends over the next few years. But uh, it, it's a lovely, wonderful time. And... Uh, I believe you can do it. Awesome. Yeah. And I think actually the, the friendship among the team of the organizing team is something that I didn't necessarily expect going in because we we're already friends and we knew everybody, but it was actually one of the saddest things about when we retired on the hybrid year, because all of our team wasn't able to be in person. So we didn't get to share, you know, that last experience. And that was, I mean, for me, that was, I think the, the only big thing that, uh, you know, was my big thing of like, well, maybe we could do one more year because it would be great to. <laughs> to retire altogether. But I think I was like, well, we don't, we can't, I'm not guaranteed that. So, <laughs> um, yeah. And Dustin, any, uh, final, uh, thoughts or piece of uh, pieces of advice? Yeah, I'm with, I'm with Vito on this. Um, if you're on the fence about doing it, just fucking do it. Like, um, we had run one incredibly amateur CTF prior to hosting DEF CON. And, uh, I think, uh, we overcame that and, you know, I, I feel like we did at least an adequate job, uh, when we hosted, um, I don't think that, you know, DEF CON is expecting perfection the first year or even the, uh, fifth year, the last year you, you run it. But, uh, you know, I think as long as you're, uh, honest about 
what's going on and you know communicative with your with your teams like uh, it's a small community we all know how computers work and don't work and uh you know uh, i think uh, getting out in front of it and doing it and making mistakes and learning from them and you know coming back with that knowledge next year and uh, kicking it up level i think is uh entirely attainable for for most groups so if you want to do it just do it <laughs> great well on that on the uh you know nike if you want to sponsor us please uh, send us some money and we'll say just do it all the time um oh, and we, on... we uh gave nike way too much money our last few years oh did you <laughs> but, but but i will say the uh the the running shoes are also a good choice for defcon uh, ah. they're they're very like like gotta wear running shoes like the air the basketball shoes i'm gonna you know not plug a brand necessarily the basketball sho- shoes look cool but the running shoes like you put on miles during defcon uh every time and i think you are correct oh, i'm sorry I made, a, I made a mistake but yeah Vito Vito always used uh a certain uh well-known sneaker manufacturers customization uh <laughs> program so like we had some slick ass purple and gold uh legit bs themed uh uh, shoes that's to wear cool. and, uh, I still I still wear those when uh, I've got like a really big meeting or something and I was like yeah I need to feel like I own the room like uh, that that puts me right back in like you know standing up to the microphone and getting ready to drone on attention teams and uh, say my piece so amazing great well thank you for joining us today we really appreciate it our our special guests uh, Dustin and Vito from LegitBS. Um, I'm Adam D. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Dupay. He is Zardis. You can find him on Twitter at Zardis. Together we are CTF Radio. And you can find us online on YouTube or Twitter at CTF Radio OOO. Uh, you can send us questions through email, uh, ctfradio at gmail.com, uh, where we've actually got some really good um, feedback from people that we're going to try to incorporate into future episodes. So, uh, yeah, we really appreciate that. So, uh, take care and happy hacking. Bye, everybody. Thanks for the time. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, guys. Later. Bye, everyone.